We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 332 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, June 9th, 2022. I hope that you are well. I hope that you are in for a good Thursday. I hope that you aren't in for any dust-ups on this Thursday. Because there's nothing worse than a dust-up. Dust-ups are annoying, are they not? You want to avoid a dust-up. Whenever possible. Oh, oh, what a day on Wednesday for our commanders. You might say that Wednesday was a dust-up of a day for our commanders. Whatever you think about what Jack Del Rio said on Wednesday morning, wherever you stand on what happened on January 6th, 2021. Wherever you stand on what happened in the summer of 2020, can we all at least agree on this? Because these days we cannot agree on much, but can we all at least agree on this? The commanders so didn't need this. They so didn't need their defensive coordinator's political beliefs becoming a thing. And then so many questions after Wednesday morning's OTA practice being about those political beliefs. And then Jack calling (laughs) what happened on January 6th, 2021 at the United States Capitol a dust-up. And then people getting set off. And then Jack having to come out with an apology late in the day. The commanders just did not need this, not with all of their other problems. You know, this whole Jack Del Rio drama may have been the death blow for a stadium funding plan for the commanders in Virginia, at least for now. Uh, Virginia State Senator Jeremy McPike on Wednesday afternoon tweeted the following, quote, just sealed the deal to cast my vote as a no I think what's burning down today is the stadium bill, end quote. Uh, Also, we on Wednesday evening had a report 
From Sports Business Insider, A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, quote, lobbyists working on behalf of the Washington Commanders have been counting votes among Virginia lawmakers this week, sources with knowledge of the situation told Front Office Sports. Sources told Front Office Sports that the count appears to show there isn't enough support to ensure passage of the bill that would create the Virginia Football Stadium Authority, a body that would help determine the best spot for the $3 billion domed stadium project. The final bill has been negotiated in private among a six-member conference committee composed of three state senators and three state delegates since March. If the conference committee can't come to an agreement, it dies a quiet death, the source told front office sports. Another source with knowledge of the lobbying efforts told Front Office Sports that there may not be enough votes and the bill's backers could put the effort on hold to avoid it getting voted down by the legislature. The current session ends in January, but one source told Front Office Sports that a decision on the future of the bill could be announced within the week. End quote. So, yeah, there's that too. Anyway, coming up next segment, I will give you my thoughts on and my reaction to the Jack Del Rio dust-up. I'm going to spend some time discussing this because there is so much to this. You will hear all of the key audio from Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera from Wednesday morning. You will also hear what I thought were some good comments from Kendall Fuller. Uh, I promise you, this is not going to be me lecturing you about politics. I hate when people in my business lecture about politics, all right? I do not do that. But what I am going to do is examine this entire situation and attempt to apply some rational, open-minded thinking to the situation. I'll let you decide how I do. Uh, But, you know, because of the sensitivity of everything, I am sure that someone somewhere will not be happy with what I say because I won't say what I say exactly how he or she wanted me to say what I say. But hey, what can I say? (laughs) Now, this whole Jack Del Rio thing went down on Wednesday morning after the commander's final OTA practice of the offseason, what was a practice that was open to the media. My friends, we have plenty of actual commander's football to discuss on this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, and discuss football we shall on this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Carson Wentz, he on Wednesday did a press conference for the first time since his introductory press conference for the Commanders nearly three months ago. Uh, I'll get into some of the best of what Carson had to say. Uh, Ron Rivera talked Carson Wentz, as well as the Terry McLaurin and Deron Payne situations. We'll get into that. Uh, Curtis Samuel was on a side field on Wednesday morning. Uh, I'll get into that. Uh, Ron was furious at Jeremy Reeves on Wednesday morning. I'll talk about that. A lot of commanders talk on the show, and believe it or not, some of it does have to do with football. Uh, also on the show, baseball. I'll talk nationals. A crazy game for the Nats. On Wednesday night, a 2-1, 10-inning loss at the Miami Marlins. The game was scoreless through nine innings. The Nats lost the game in a bizarre way, I'll explain. But also on Wednesday night, a third consecutive good start for Josiah Gray. Some impressive bullpen work for the Nats and some big defensive moments for the Nats. Uh, No game for the Orioles on Wednesday night 
Game two of their two-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, postponed due to rain, will be made up on August 18th. You know, I owe you another thank you. Uh, this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, an oh-so-humble endeavor, this grassroots, militia-like revolution of a podcast that you and I are in the midst of, as of very early Thursday morning, was up to being number 25 in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. Yes, number 25 in the country. One spot ahead of Skip Bayless's podcast. We're beating Skip Bayless. Uh, I have you to thank for that. So thank you for listening and downloading and subscribing and giving the five-star ratings and writing the reviews. All of those things matter so much. All of those things are very much appreciated. So thank you. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Eric from Weedman. Uh, he's a big Commanders fan. He has been going to Redskins slash Washington football team games for years. Writes Eric, I had the good fortune to attend last Thursday's OTA practice for the Commanders. It was a relatively small group of spectators. There was a large carpeted area centered with a tent and tables in very close proximity to the practice fields. There was a breakfast bar with some really tasty food. We were treated to a bird's eye view of the two-hour practice, and everyone, and I mean every employee, was uber helpful, cheerful, etc. It was a really great thing for a fan. On a player's note, Jahan Dodson was all over the place catching balls. Curtis Samuel looked explosive. Brian Robinson Jr. looks like a bruiser and already seems to have player support. Chris Paul also looked impressive. Carson Wentz's throws were sharp, whistled, and really looked different and better than those of other quarterbacks. Many of the players went to the sidelines post-practice for chatting and autographs, but no one stayed longer and engaged better then Carson Wentz. He was sincere signing and taking selfies with the fans. Uh, thank you for the email, Eric. Uh, very nice to read something like that. Glad that you had a good experience at a commander's OTA practice and glad that the team did a nice job with the practice. So thumbs up to the commanders and good for Carson Wentz for staying for a while and signing autographs and engaging fans. Imagine that a feel good email about the commanders on the Al Galdi podcast. We don't often get those. Uh, email from Jerry Moore on the Nationals and the Orioles writes, Jerry, Al, given how bad that the Nats are playing overall and given the promise that some of the talented young Orioles are showing, do you think that this area could become Orioles country again? I'm finding it a lot more fun watching O's games again rather than watching lowly Nats games. The O's seem years ahead of the Nats in terms of the rebuild. Could we see the Nats fan base diminish and the Orioles fan base grow in the next year or so? It's nice listening to Jim Palmer again. Uh, thank you for the email, Jerry. So this sort of depends on who and where you're talking about, because as I have said, there do remain a lot of Orioles fans in the Washington, D.C. area. I live in Montgomery County, Maryland. I see as much Orioles gear where I live as I see Nationals gear. Now, I think that if you get into Washington, D.C. or Northern Virginia, you're more likely to see more Nats gear than O's gear, but if you go to Prince George's County or Anne Arundel County, you're more likely to see more O's gear 
than that skier. The truth is this. If you live in the D.C. area and you're between the ages of, say, I don't know, 35 and 55, there's a decent chance that you're an O's fan and not a Nats fan because D.C. had no Major League Baseball team from 1972 through 2004. That's a really long time. I mean, when I was growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, the big four in terms of major professional sports in this area were the Redskins, the Orioles, the Bullets, and the Capitals. Okay? Home team sports covered the Redskins, the Orioles, the Bullets, and the Capitals. Now, what's also true is that there are plenty of people who watch and root for both the Nats and the O's. Uh, This isn't necessarily an either-or proposition. Personally, I have never felt that this needs to be an either-or proposition. You know, it is true that the two ownership groups can't stand each other, okay? The Learners and the Angeloses hate each other. But in terms of the Nats and the O's, I think that you can root for both teams if you so choose. Uh, But in terms of O's fans overtaking Nats fans in the D.C. area, that would require a lot. That would require the O's being really good, like playoff caliber good, and the Nats being really bad for at least a three to five year period, maybe even more. And even then, there would be no guarantees. I mean, consider this now. The Nats have been in D.C. for 18 seasons. This is the 18th season of the Nats in D.C., 2005 through 2022. 18 years is a generation. It's hard to just wipe that out, especially with the Nats having just won a World Series title in 2019. Although, boy, uh, that Nats 2019 World Series championship seems like a really long time ago now. Email from John Grandlin. John G. of something that I mentioned on Tuesday's show, episode 330. That's something from a report from the Washington Post on Monday. Quote, according to Kagan, the media research division of S&P Global Market Intelligence, Masson's subscriptions have fallen from 5.6 million in 2018 to 3.6 million this year. End quote. Uh, Writes John G. Not sure if you are aware, but the only way to legally stream the Nationals in market is with DirecTV streaming choice package at $90 a month. It is that or cable. Uh, Thank you for the email, John G. Great point, man. Uh, So like I said on Tuesday's show, the decline in mass and subscribers clearly is mostly about cord cutting. Uh, And so to expand on that, there's no way that these 2 million subscribers who Masson has lost uh, over the last few years are all now just watching Nats games on Masson through DirecTV streaming choice packets. Like what has happened is Masson has lost most of these viewers. And consequently, the Nats have lost most of these viewers. The lack of streaming options for Masson is a real shame. And what that does is just reduce the number of people watching Masson and thus Nats games. And so ultimately what happens is that you have fewer people as Nats fans. And when you combine that with the Nats being really bad right now, that's a dangerous combination. Uh, This Masson situation, for so many reasons, is really bad for the Nats. And uh, of course, uh, this has been the reality for years. Well, the opposite of really bad, of course, is really good. And really good is what the law firm of Paulson and Nace is. And so if you or someone who you care about has been injured due to the negligence of someone else, uh, you should contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace 
that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what's best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Inova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. It is amazing to me how sports can play out sometimes. The Commanders on Wednesday morning conducted their final OTA practice of the offseason. All that's left now in terms of offseason practices is next week's mandatory minicamp practices. And then we have about a six-week break for the team until the start of training camp, which, by the way, I've heard it will not be taking place in Richmond this year. Anyway, uh, the Commanders had three weeks of OTA practices. Each week featured three OTA practices, one of which was open to the media. It was after each OTA practice that was open to the media that we had post-practice press conferences for the Commanders head coach, Ron Rivera, uh, perhaps one of the team's coordinators, and various players. Uh, the Commanders offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, did a post-OTA practice press conference last week. Entering this week, the Commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, had not yet done a post-OTA practice press conference this offseason. So Jack was a prime candidate to do a press conference on Wednesday morning. And wouldn't you know, this just happened to come on the heels of tweets from Jack getting all kinds of attention. The timing of this Jack Del Rio press conference on Wednesday morning really was something. Before we go any further, some background. So Jack Del Rio pretty clearly uh, is a Republican, or at the very least is conservative politically. He has been very active on Twitter uh, for a while here, espousing his political views. Now, personally, I've never had a problem with Jack putting his political views out there. He has every right to do this, uh, you know, just because his politics don't align with the politics of most of those in the media doesn't mean that he isn't allowed to profess his politics. My only problem with Jack on Twitter has been him at times perpetuating stuff that isn't true. Uh, I'll give you an example. Jack, on April 7th, 2020, retweeted with comment a tweet from the Babylon Bee. 
the Babylon Bee, as you may know, is a satirical Twitter account that actually leans conservative politically. Uh, the Babylon Bee tweets out stories that aren't true in order to make political points. The Babylon Bee actually got kicked off of Twitter uh, during the whole disinformation crackdown uh, in which you had people getting kicked off of Twitter left and right. Well, uh, Jack, on April 7th, 2020, which, of course, was during one of the high points of the COVID-19 pandemic, retweeted with comment a story from the Babylon Bee with the headline, <laughs> quote, liberal treated with hydroxychloroquine hopes he still dies of COVID-19 to prove Trump is stupid, end quote. So that was the headline of a story put out there by the Babylon Bee. The headline is fake. That's not a real story. There wasn't actually someone who leans left politically who got treated with hydroxychloroquine, who still hoped that he died in order to prove <laughs> that Donald Trump is stupid. But Jack Del Rio didn't realize this at the time. He thought that this was a real story. And so Jack wrote, quote, pure ignorance, end quote. Jack clearly thought that that story from the Babylon Bee was true. Uh, that story from the Babylon Bee was not true. That story was satire. Uh, Jack doesn't seem to always have the best grasp of what's what on Twitter. I brought this up recently. Uh, Jack's Wes Unsell Jr. tweet. So Jack on May 26 bizarrely responded to a tweet from the official Twitter account of the Wizards announcing the hiring of Wes Unsell Jr. as head coach. The tweet was from July 17th. 2021. Yeah, the Wizards hired West Jr. as head coach last summer. And I don't know if Jack got confused and thought that the Wizards had just hired West Jr. I don't know if Jack just felt like he needed to congratulate West Jr. 10 months later on getting the job. But Jack Del Rio on May 26 tweeted, quote, congrats, Wes, wishing you the best, end quote. So Jack Del Rio's Twitter comprehension maybe isn't the best. Okay, fine. I've never really cared about that. I care much more about Jack coaching up Washington's defense. Now, what's interesting, too, is this. Uh, Jack Del Rio's more notable tweets seem to happen at night. Uh, that West Unsell Jr. tweet came out on the same night as Jack's Bite D's tweet in which he told a Twitter troll to bite D's. Uh, both of those tweets were tweeted out on Thursday night, May 26th. Well, Jack, this past Monday night, June 6th, unleashed another barrage of tweets, including this tweet in response to a tweet from someone from CNN regarding the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Quote, would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed, but this is triple exclamation mark, hashtag common sense, end quote. And as you can imagine, this tweet got a lot of attention, including from everyone's favorite national NFL insider, when it comes to the commanders, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk. Uh, Florio, as you likely know, and as I have pointed out for years, despises the team we now call the commanders and despises Dan Snyder. And also Florio makes it no secret that he is a liberal. 
so that the defensive coordinator of the commanders, Jack Del Rio, is not afraid to express his conservative political views, and that Jack fired off a tweet regarding both January 6th and the summer of 2020. Well, for Mike Florio, man, this was like throwing raw meat into a lion's cage, okay? And so Florio on Tuesday morning came out with a piece on Pro Football Talk. Headline, Commanders Have No Comment on Jack Del Rio's tweet regarding January 6th hearing, and Florio in the piece crushed Jack. All right, so with all of that as a backdrop, we arrive now at Wednesday morning at the Commander's Team Facility in Ashburn, Virginia. Jack Del Rio, on Wednesday morning, great timing, did a post-OTA practice press conference that lasted for nearly 12 minutes. What I'm going to do is play for you the two chunks of the presser having to do with Jack's tweets. This first chunk is a little less than three minutes long. You will hear both questions and answers so that you get the full context of what Jack said. I'm a big believer when playing audio for something like this in context being important. And one of the nice things about doing a podcast is that we can take as long as we need to properly establish the context for something uh, like this Jack Del Rio situation. So the first nearly three minutes of Jack's press conference on Wednesday morning. Here you go. Anything that I ever say or write, I'd be comfortable saying or writing in front of everybody that I work with, players and coaches. So uh, I express myself as as an American. Um, We have that ability. I love this country. And, um, you know, I believe what I believe, and I've said what I want to say. And every now and then there's some people that um, get offended by it. It's a slow news cycle, so I guess uh, Mike Florio picked something up yesterday and talked about it. It's not the first time Mike and I have disagreed about things. That's okay. Um, You know, but um, that's pretty much it. There's not not a whole lot to it. Um, But what I am excited about is what's going on right now with us and and the way we're working. You know, so football questions uh, be where I'd like to focus. If anybody else wants to talk about other things, we can set something out. At, an, at another time, but that's kind of how I how I see it. It seems like you like to express yourself in the offseason. It's been a couple years in a row. Is that like what is it about this time that you you know want to speak up on certain issues? No particular you know time or thing about off season or in season. No. And you, you obviously took uh, I think a stance that was counter to some players and, and how they felt in summer twenty twenty. Are you worried at all about no, how your players would? Not at all. Okay. Do you think your stances reflect a lot of people that aren't putting those out there out of fear or anything else? Um, you know, some people may be um, swayed by that, but again, I'm going to be the man I am, and um, uh, you know, I operate here as a coach with nothing but love and respect for everybody I work with. Coach, there there are a lot of African Americans on your team. I know you said you're not really worried at all. Yeah. But do you think it has any effect on on them knowing their beliefs and and where, maybe the communities they come from uh, when it comes down to police brutality? Knowing that you kind of compared that those George Floyd pro- protests with January 6th? Uh, no. No, I don't think I don't think race had anything to do with with uh, with with that incident. And um, so, no. Well, not not race, but in regards to just the the race that believes and, and supports the Black Lives Matter movement. Are you concerned that some of those players are a little bit concerned about what your no, personal opinion? No, 
No, I'm not. When you said that incident, what did you I'm sorry? When you said that incident just now, what did you I think we I think we know what we're talking about here. I mean, I, I don't, there's really nothing else to add right now, guys. All right. So that was how Jack Del Rio's post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning started. Then came a bunch of football questions. And then came this final Q&A at the end of Jack's presser. And uh, this exchange (laughs) was, shall we say, the coup de grace. Uh, Take a listen. Jack, sorry, one more back on Twitter. Are you back on Twitter? Just stay off that thing, will you? (laughs) Just for clarification, why is it not important to you, like if your players are concerned by by what you'd said? Oh, if they are and, and they want to talk about it, I'd talk about it with anybody. Yeah, no problem. I, at any time, but uh, but they're not. I'm just expressing myself, and uh, I think we all, as Americans, have the right to express ourselves, especially if you're being respectful. I'm being respectful. I just asked a simple question. Really, did I? Let's get right down, down to it. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not looking into those things? If we're going to talk about it, why are we not looking into those things? Because it's kind of hard for me to say I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust-up at the Capitol. Well, there's nothing burned down. And we're not going to talk about We're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's kind of two standards. And if we apply the same standard, and we're going to be reasonable with each other, let's have a discussion. That's all it was. Let's have a discussion. We're Americans. Let's talk it through. I'm for, I'm for us, you know, having a great opportunity to have a fulfilled life. Uh, like I said, every, way, every which way I can, when I'm here, it's about love and respect. I love my guys. I respect my guys. Uh, But I also love the fact that I'm an American, and that means I'm free to express myself. And I'm not afraid to do that. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All righty. And, of course, Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning referring to January 6th, 2021 as, quote, a dust-up at the Capitol, end quote, uh, triggered a lot of people, infuriated a lot of people. And then late on Wednesday afternoon at 5.13 p.m. Eastern, to be precise, Jack Del Rio tweeted out the following statement. Quote, I made comments earlier today in referencing the attack that took place on the United States Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Referencing that situation as a dust-up was irresponsible and negligent, and I am sorry. I stand by my comments condemning violence in communities across the country. I say that while also expressing my support as an American citizen for peaceful protest in our country. I have fully supported all peaceful protests in America. I love, respect, and support all my fellow coaches, players, and staff that I work with and respect their views and opinions. End quote. So let's get into all of this, shall we? (laughs) Uh, All right. So I guess I'll start with this. I am no expert on United States history. Okay, I don't claim to be an expert on U.S. history, but it sure seems to me like the country right now is as politically divided as it has ever been. You know, it's funny to me, this idea that Donald Trump being out as president and Joe Biden being in as president would lessen the political divide in this country 
has turned out to be so wrong. Uh, it sure feels like there is as much division right now as there ever was during Trump's presidency. I think that there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, that's a conversation for another time. But with us being so politically divided, there remains a massive gap between how we view things like what happened in the summer of 2020 and what happened on January 6th, 2021. I mean, if you are in the camp of Jack Del Rio, if you are a conservative uh, and you watch a lot of Fox News and you are a big fan of Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and you own a bunch of my pillow pillows, okay, <laughs> and you read the Washington Times and the New York Post, then you think that what happened in the summer of 2020 with all of the rioting and all of the looting it was outrageous. And you think that what happened on January 6th, 2021, while maybe bad, also has been blown out of proportion, at least to some extent. Conversely, if you are not in the camp of Jack Del Rio, if you are a liberal and you watch a lot of CNN and MSNBC, and you think that Don Lemon and Joy Reid are brilliant, and you read the Washington Post and the New York Times, then you think that what happened in the summer of 2020 was wonderful and needed, and that whatever violence did take place in the summer of 2020 was minimal and perhaps even necessary. And you think that what happened on January 6th, 2021, uh, was a calamity, was an all-time low point for this country, you know? Our Vice President Kamala Harris this past January 6th equated January 6th, 2021 with 9-11. You know, if you are not in the camp of Jack Del Rio, you heard Kamala say that and you nodded your head in agreement. You said, yeah, you're right about that. We all have our opinions on all of this stuff. Uh, I have my opinions. My point here is this. These opinions can be very different. And these opinions view what happened in the summer of 2020 and what happened on January 6, 2021 in very divergent ways. And there probably ain't no changing your opinions, at least if you're very much leaning one way or the other. And so where you stand politically very much frames how you view these Jack Del Rio tweets. So when it comes to what he said on Wednesday morning in that second extended cut that I just played for you, him calling what happened on January 6th a dust-up, uh, you may find that accurate. You may also find that highly offensive. I mean, it really depends on where you're coming from politically. You know, one of the biggest problems with where our country is at politically right now is that we can't agree on basic facts. Like, it's one thing if we agree on facts and then just have different opinions on the meanings of the facts. It's another thing with us not being able to agree on facts. This is a real problem. Like, if you say to yourself, what is factually true about what went on in the summer of 2020? And what is factually true about what happened on January 6th, 2021? Good luck finding widespread agreement on what the facts are. It's like there are two realities right now. It really is amazing. You know, we live in a country right now where we have something like what we have had with this Hunter Biden stuff. Have you been following this over the last few months? Okay. 
The Hunter Biden stuff this past November by multiple mainstream news media outlets was labeled as Russian disinformation and wasn't even recognized. And yet now, this same Hunter Biden stuff is being covered by most, if not all, of these mainstream media news outlets, okay? The same mainstream media operations that this past November called the Hunter Biden stuff Russian disinformation uh, now are all in on covering this story. Put aside whatever you think about the Hunter Biden thing, whether you think that it's a big deal or really not that much of a deal. How is it that this was Russian disinformation in November, but is a valid news story now? Like, explain that to me. Our mainstream news media is really messed up right now. So no wonder that we can't even figure out what the facts truly are for things like the summer of 2020 and January 6th, 2021. I'm not here to tell you what to think about what happened in the summer of 2020 and what happened on January 6th, 2021. Again, I have my own opinions, okay? But I'm not a believer in preaching politics and social views on this podcast. I think that there is way too much of that going on in sports media these days. What I do want to get across are a few things. So point number one, Jack Del Rio is entitled to his opinion, and he has every right to express his opinion. Now, whether you think that he's a genius for having the political opinions that he has, or you think that he's a moron for having the political opinions that he has, really doesn't matter. He's entitled to his opinion. He has every right to express his opinion. Whether he should express that opinion is another matter. Like personally, I think that there's a conversation to be had about whether a guy in Jack Del Rio's position should be wasting his time on Twitter. Okay, but that's his prerogative. He wants to do that. He can do that. He has every right to do that. And, you know, just because his opinions don't align with most of those in the media doesn't mean that he can't be doing this. This idea that people who don't think like people in the media think need to be silenced or canceled uh, really needs to stop. You know, it's not good. Uh, Point number two, there is a lot about Jack Del Rio's beliefs that we don't know. And I don't think that it's right to assume that we know, even though a lot of people are assuming right now. And I think that this is part of the problem with expressing your opinions on complicated things like the summer of 2020 and like January 6, 2021 on Twitter. Okay. Twitter limits you to only so many characters per tweet. On Twitter, nuance goes bye bye. On Twitter, people get what is called keyboard courage and tweet inflammatory responses that those people would never in a million years say to your face. And on Twitter, discourse often becomes toxic and completely unproductive. Like with the summer of 2020, okay? So does Jack Del Rio believe that there was zero reason for people to protest in the summer of 2020? Does Jack Del Rio believe that people just overreacted to what happened to George Floyd? Or does Jack Del Rio maybe believe that the protests were warranted and that the conversations were helpful, but that the rioting and the looting that did take place were wrong and that the rioting and the looting that did take place uh, weren't even necessarily done by protesters, you know, but were more so done by opportunists who couldn't have cared less about what happened to George Floyd. I don't know the answers to those questions, but I don't think that we should just assume that Jack Del Rio is some racist bigot who has no sympathy for what black people have undergone and, you know, thinks George Floyd got exactly what he deserved. You know, like, I don't think it's as simple as that necessarily, but I don't know. Okay, I don't know with certainty where Jack stands on all of the things 
that I just brought up. But there is potential nuance here that could exist with how Jack Del Rio feels. His opinions aren't necessarily as simple as some people are making them out to be. Uh, What about January 6, 2021? Does Jack Del Rio believe that nothing was wrong about that day? Okay. Or does Jack maybe believe that what happened on January 6, 2021 was wrong? Uh, Just like the rioting and the looting from the summer of 2020 were wrong. Uh, Again, we don't know with certainty. You'd have to sit down and have a conversation with Jack Del Rio. And here's the thing, okay? I don't really care what he thinks, okay? Like, I don't really care uh, where Jack Del Rio stands on all of these things. I'm not that invested in Jack Del Rio's political beliefs. I don't seek political wisdom from Jack Del Rio. He can think whatever he wants. His opinions don't influence my opinions in any way. What I care about with Jack Del Rio is how he does as coordinator of the commander's defense. A defense, by the way, that last season was a major disappointment. Point number three. It certainly is quite possible that commander's defensive players disagree with Jack Del Rio's political beliefs, okay? And if that's the case, fine. I mean, people are allowed to disagree. It's not the end of the world if people disagree. There's nothing wrong with disagreement as long as it's expressed in a respectful way. Now, the problem would be if commander's defensive players are offended by Jack's beliefs, or at the very least, the players are offended by what they perceive Jack's beliefs to be. And if that's the case, uh, then that could impact the defense's performance this coming season. And so Jack and those players would need to talk things out. But I wouldn't just assume that because there are a number of black players on the commander's defense, that they all think the exact same things politically and thus now all hate Jack Del Rio, okay? This is another problem with what's going on in our politics right now. We have to stop grouping people into one way of thinking. Your skin color doesn't determine your politics. Not all black people think the same way. Not all white people think the same way. Not all Hispanic people think the same way. Not all Asian Americans think the same way. Like, we're all different. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. We all have different life situations. You can't just assume that because so many commanders, defensive players are black, then they must now all hate Jack Del Rio. Like, the world doesn't work like that. People on TV would like for you to think that the world works like that, but the world doesn't work like that. So now what? I mean, I have seen it suggested (laughs) that the commanders should fire Jack Del Rio. Look, man, unless his opinions truly are hateful, okay, then the commanders should not fire Jack Del Rio. This cancel culture stuff has got to stop. It's ridiculous, and in my opinion, it's gutless. What needs to happen is that Jack Del Rio needs to do a better job as defensive coordinator than the job that he did as defensive coordinator last season when Washington's defense was maybe the single most disappointing defense in the NFL. Like, if you want to be offended by something, uh, be offended by that. That a defense that was supposed to be great last season ended up being one of the biggest disappointments in the NFL. I know that some people believe that this Jack Del Rio stuff now is a major distraction for the commanders. You know, that's possible. I don't want to dismiss that as a possibility, but I also don't think that that is necessarily the case. Uh, Here was Ron Rivera during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning. Ron got asked about the Jack Del Rio situation. Uh, Here were those exchanges. 
Jack Del Rio's had a number of tweets over the last week about political issues, some stances that this organization's taken opposite stances on. Do you talk to him about that at all? I'm not going to talk about you know stuff that I talk with my coaches about, especially stuff that's off the field, not pertaining to football. It's just you know everybody's entitled to their opinion, though. Do you worry though about that affecting the locker room, considering some of the stances your players are taking? Not necessarily. And again, you know, if that ever becomes an issue or situation, then we'll have that discussion. But right now, it, it's it's something that, you know, I will deal with when it comes up. And how would you deal with that? Did you consider that coming up in the last couple days? And how would you deal with it? Well, well how I deal with it, I'm not going to share with you guys because it's going to be a private matter. All right. I liked how Ron Rivera handled all of that. Keep everything in-house. There's one more audio clip that I want to play for you from all of this. Uh, Commander's Corner Kendall Fuller on Wednesday morning did a post-OTA practice press conference. He got asked about the Jack Del Rio situation. I really liked how Kendall handled it because reporters clearly were trying to bait Kendall into ripping Jack. And look, reporters have a job to do, so I'm not bashing those reporters who were doing this, but I mean, it's pretty obvious when you listen to this cut. Uh, Kendall was being baited into trashing Jack and Kendall did not to take the bait. Take a listen. Jack Del Rio recently tweeted kind of a comparison to the George Floyd protest and the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. How do you feel, what are your feelings towards that, uh, comparing those two? Um, like I said, I don't know what he tweeted. You know, if there's any feeling that I have towards it, you know, I'll definitely go express it with him and, and the stuff like that. But I'm not aware of anything that's on Twitter. Oh. Yeah, I'm just going to read it to you because I'm interested in your reaction. Uh, would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed. But this is, referring to January 6th, Hashtag common sense. What's your reaction? I don't have a reaction right now. Like I said, if, that's, if I have a reaction feeling towards something, I'll express that with him. All right. Bravo, Kendall Fuller. He did not take the bait. He did not allow himself to be baited into just destroying Jack Del Rio. And look, maybe Kendall wants to destroy Jack right now. Maybe Kendall is furious at Jack right now. Who knows? But Kendall, if he is angry at Jack is keeping that in-house, and that's the way to handle something like this. And if it's true that Kendall had no idea what Jack had tweeted, and I have my doubts about whether that's true, but if that's true, then that's even better, because Kendall Fuller probably is better off not being on Twitter. And you know what? Jack Del Rio probably is better off not being on Twitter, too. Well, if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you are better off going with Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent. You know, Kellen Hunt doesn't have time to be tweeting out his political beliefs. He's too busy getting great homes for people like you. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. The competition for homes in the D.C. area right now is extreme. High demand coupled with low inventory. And so homes in the D.C. area are going under contract quickly after those homes are listed. And when I say the D.C. area, I mean in a variety of places in the D.C. area. Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C. The real estate market throughout this area is hot. How do you make sure that you get the home 
that you want and deserve? What's the right strategy? This is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want. If you're wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need a smart realtor to ensure that your offer is the offer that wins. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you. His website says it all. Close it with Kel. Com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. He's 2016 Zach Britton, okay? And Ke- Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit closeitwithkell.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit closeitwithkell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Well, we now move to actual football from the Commander's OTA practice on Wednesday morning. Yes, actual football. Imagine that. Uh, This OTA practice for the Commanders on Wednesday morning was the team's final OTA practice of the 2022 offseason. And if not for the post-practice press conference of defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning, the biggest item from the Commander's Wednesday uh, would have been that the new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, did a press conference for the first time since his introductory press conference for the Commanders on March 17th. Um, Now, one of the most overrated things in the NFL is how guys look during these OTA practices. These are not padded practices. There is no tackling in these practices. And these things are, yes, practices, okay? Every spring, we get rave reviews of players looking great at OTA practices, and then in every ensuing NFL season, so many of the players who looked so great during OTA practices end up disappointing. A prime example of this is linebacker Jamin Davis last year. So with that as a caveat, I say this, uh, Carson Wentz looked good (laughs) during these OTA practices. Uh, Most of the reports and observations were positive. Now, what it means that Carson Wentz looked good during the OTA practices this offseason, who the heck knows? But we can't say that. I mean, there has been a general consensus here that Wentz looked good during the OTA practices. Here was Carson on Wednesday on what this now concluded session of OTA practices was like for him. It's been a lot of fun, um, honestly. For me, Especially this time of year, I, I kind of reflect on the last two years and with COVID and everything, haven't had a true off season, haven't had an OTA. Um, so it seems like it's been a while. And so for me, that's been a lot of fun, first and foremost, to be able to be around the guys um, in the locker room, outside the locker room, you know, go to dinners, go golfing, do all those things, get to know these guys, but also on the field um, to get the work in. Um, it's been a lot of fun getting to know them. Um, you know, I have a lot of expectations for this offense and just seeing, you know, little flashes of what I think we can be. Um, um, obviously, it's not perfect. That's why it's OTAs. That's why we're out here um, kind of throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks and what, who we're going to be as an offense. But um, it's been a lot of fun, and I have a lot of high hopes for this team. Yeah, I think that a lot of people 
have high hopes for the Commanders this coming season. I have high hopes for the Commanders this coming season. I mean, to me, a 10-win season is doable. Very doable. Now, is that likely? Who the heck knows? But given the schedule, given that a healthy Carson Wentz should be an upgraded quarterback, given the expectation of better injury luck on offense, given that it would be hard for the pass defense to be worse than it was last season, 10-7 and or better in the 2022 regular season is very doable. Uh, We know that the head coach of the Commanders, Ron Rivera, very much wants the Commanders' 2022 season to be a step-forward season. He has said that many times. Here was Ron during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning on what jumped out to him about Carson Wentz over the Commanders' three weeks of OTA practices. I really like his command of our offense. You know, when you, when you listen to him in the huddle, you listen to him talk to his teammates about, you know, certain aspects of, of, of the play, you know he gets it. And, and seeing him getting his teammates lined up and communicating um, is, is, I think, a real positive for us. Uh, it gives I know it gives me confidence, but when he's in the huddle calling the plays the way he does, I know his teammates can feel the confidence. Yeah, confidence is key. Uh, Now, Carson Wentz, during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday, got asked about comments from Ron Rivera during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday. Here was Carson's response to how he has picked up on the commander's offense. Yeah, I mean, it's always a challenge. Don't get me wrong. You know, learning a new system, new, uh, it's a new language, you know, all those things. Um, but at the same time, it's still football. You know, you're not reinventing the wheel. There's nothing crazy. There's different intricacies within an offense and different schemes and different ways you want to attack the defense. Um, and that's been exciting to see Coach Turner's philosophy and get to work with him. Um, but at the same time, it, it's always a challenge learning all those things. But uh, that's why we have this time. And I'm thankful for it that we can, you know, get the time to study, but also, you know, have the walkthroughs, have the practices kind of make those mistakes and and learn from them right now. Uh, Carson Wentz, of course, has made some mistakes in his NFL career. Uh, I, on Tuesday's show, episode 330, discussed whether the commanders are getting an awakened Carson Wentz, a more mature Carson Wentz, and how that might make it so that the commanders end up getting a very good version of Carson Wentz, maybe even the best version of Carson Wentz. Who knows? Here was Carson on Wednesday on becoming more mature. I mean, I'm older. Uh, my, my family life is different. I got two kids. I, you know, everything's changed. You know, everything, uh, you, you mature a little bit. You see the world a little bit differently. Uh, I've now, you know, been on, this is my third team, all those things. So you, you kind of see a uh, different perspective. And, and so uh, it's been fun. You know, at the same time, an older, older guy in the locker room, um, coming in and, and getting to know guys and you know there's guys that were born in the 2000s all of a sudden making me feel old um, and so all those things just getting to know guys in a, in a different way guys that are from different backgrounds different uh, seasons of life all of those things and hopefully as, as an, a leader um, and, a, and a veteran in that locker room I can help kind of lead them and bring them along and uh, I'm excited for it and it's been a lot of fun. Okay, uh, this was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on how he is seeing a more mature Carson Wentz. You know, one of the things that's interesting is, is, is how hard he is on himself. And, and, and you, you do kind of see it because he does mumble a little bit, talk to himself. And, and one time I heard him say something, I thought he was saying something to me, um, but he was just talking out loud to himself. So sometimes when, when, when something really good happens, I, I kind of watch him and see his, his facial expression. And sometimes when something bad happens, you know, I, I turn and watch and just kind of see how he reacts to all of that. 
Yeah, so so much of the Carson Wentz conversation this offseason has been about his leadership, right? Like, that probably has been the biggest red flag with Carson, the supposed lack of leadership. Could it be that Carson Wentz is growing as a leader? Could it be that Carson Wentz is now more cognizant of where he has gone wrong as a leader and now knows where he needs to go right as a leader? Uh, Here was some more from Carson on Wednesday. This on what he has learned from his time playing for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I mean, you're always trying to learn, always trying to be uh, a better teammate, a better friend, um, trying to be a better husband every day, a better father every day. Um, and I'm always trying to learn and grow and be reflective and say, okay, I missed that opportunity. You know, that wasn't, I missed that opportunity to, to kind of make an impact on, on a younger guy or, or be, be involved with, with that teammate or whatever that looks like. So I'm always trying to learn um, and just, you know, build a, as, gro- as good of relationships as I can um, with everybody, both sides of the ball, coaches, equipment, staff, training staff. Uh, I'm going to make mistakes. You know, I'll be the first to admit it. And so always trying to grow and be self-reflective and be a better, better person in, in every way, shape and form. Yeah. I mean, all of this stuff obviously is just talk and it may well be that come January, 2023, we are laughing at all of this talk because it sounds so ridiculous in hindsight, but Right now, to me, we are hearing from Carson Wentz exactly what we want to be hearing. He is sounding like someone who is aware of past mistakes and is trying to be better. We shall see. Up next, much more on the Commanders, including the latest on what's going on with Terry McLaurin and Deron Payne, both of whom were no-shows for Wednesday morning's OTA practice, which was, yes, voluntary. Uh, I'll talk Terry, Deron, and a lot more straight ahead. Well, as we all know, uh, buying food isn't nearly as fun as eating food. However, HelloFresh makes buying food easy and affordable and makes eating food even more enjoyable. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. And not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so that you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on your kitchen table quickly with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. Stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat and how much the food will cost with inflation and try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh and we love it. Uh, We've had a number of HelloFresh meals. The sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry, the Monterey Jack unfried chicken, the pub-style shepherd's pie, the saucy pork burrito bowls, the Italian chicken, the Southwest beef with pasta. I could go on and on. The meals are fun, creative, healthy, and delicious. Heck, even my four-year-old son eats HelloFresh. Usually, if it's not a peanut butter sandwich, he's not interested, but he likes HelloFresh, and I think that you will too. Also, HelloFresh has a great app, and you, with the app, can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and 
three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, more now on the commanders off their OTA practice on Wednesday morning that was open to the media. All that is left now for the commanders this offseason until training camp is the mandatory minicamp, which will take place next Tuesday through Thursday, June 14th through the 16th. Uh, The mandatory minicamp is, yes, mandatory. OTA practices were voluntary. The two most notable no-shows at the commanders OTA practice on Wednesday morning were receiver Terry McLaurin and interior defensive lineman Deron Payne. Uh, Terry ended up not attending any of the commander's OTA practices this offseason due to being in the midst of a negotiation for a contract extension. Uh, Here was commander's quarterback Carson Wentz during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday on Terry McLaurin. Uh, Carson on whether he is excited to eventually play with Terry. For sure. Um, I've spoken with Terry quite a bit. Um, been around him a couple times already. So uh, excited for when uh, when we do get back out on that field together. And, you know, everybody knows what he brings to the table. You know, I've now been watching film and seeing different things and seeing him just continue to make play after play. And uh, the dynamic he brings uh, will just elevate us. There's no doubt about it. So um, he's an extremely talented guy and, and a great, great person I've already learned and a hardworking guy. So I know he'll be ready to go when that time is. All right, good to hear Carson Wentz say that he has spoken with Terry McLaurin quite a bit. As for Deron Payne, so he attended a good bit of the commander's OTA practices this offseason, but Deron skipped doing team drills during the practices, and Deron on Wednesday morning was not in attendance at all at the commander's OTA practice. Uh, Deron, like Terry, is entering a contract season, but Deron, unlike Terry, uh, doesn't seem to have any momentum toward a contract extension With the commanders, there doesn't seem to be any movement from the commanders in trying to sign Duran to a contract extension this offseason. Remember, commanders insider Ben Standing of The Athletic on April 26th reported that the commanders this offseason were not expected to offer Duran a contract extension. Uh, Commanders head coach Rod Rivera, he during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning addressed if he senses any frustration from Duran Payne. 
No, I, I don't. I, you know, and in talking with Duran and stuff like that, Duran's doing what you know he feels is better for him right now as far as you know that situation. So we respect that. Uh, for the most part, he's communicated with us about you know what's going on with him, um, and he's been great about that. Uh, for the most part, he comes in, he does the, the, the first half of practice, and then when we do the team drills, you know, he opts out, goes up, does his lift, um, and we, you know, we send strength coach up there with him so he can go through the entire process. And then he's in meetings afterwards. All right, so good context there. Now, like I said, next week is the Commander's three-day mandatory minicamp, which unlike these OTA practices, is mandatory. No-showing mandatory minicamp is a big deal in the NFL. Uh, That is seen as a significant act of insubordination. That can cost a player a lot of money. I mean, the only two no-shows of a Washington mandatory minicamp in recent history are those of Albert Hainsworth in 2010 and Trent Williams in 2019. Uh, Just to give you an idea of how rare no-showing a mandatory minicamp is and how big of a deal no-showing a mandatory minicamp is, we all remember how contentious the Albert Hainsworth and Trent Williams situations were. And so we had the following exchange on Wednesday morning during Ron Rivera's post-OTA practice press conference. Do you expect Duran and Terry to be here for for mandatory minicamp? I expect all our players to be here because it is mandatory. Okay, there you go. Uh, I would be very surprised if Terry McLaurin or Deron Payne no-showed the mandatory minicamp next week. I do expect both of those guys to be in attendance. Uh, As for those who were in attendance at the Commander's OTA practice on Wednesday morning, so stop me if you have heard this before. Receiver Curtis Samuel was on a side field. Yeah, Curtis Samuel on Wednesday morning was on a side field. How many times in 2021 did you hear or read that Curtis Samuel during a Washington practice was on a side field? The commanders ultimately need to rename the side field Curtis Samuel side field. Like RFK Stadium, right? Uh, That stadium named after Robert F. Kennedy, RFK. Uh, The side field needs to be renamed after Curtis Samuel, okay? Curtis Samuel side field. Let that last in perpetuity, man. Uh, Of course, Curtis in 2021 was on a side field so much because of the groin injury from hell. Here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on why Curtis during Wednesday morning's OTA practice was at his home away from home, a side field. Curtis was a rest day uh, out of an abundance of caution. Uh, He had a real good day on Monday, worked really hard. Uh, came in the next day, he was a little bit tight, and in talking with, uh, you know, with him and, and, and talking with Al Bellamy, you know, we decided, hey, let's just be smart. We've had a really good offseason. He's, he's participated. He's been in the middle of everything. So we backed off, and we thought we'd back off these two days, um, and we're really looking forward to seeing him back on the field on, uh, on, on minicamp on Tuesday. Okay, and I do want to play this, an important clarifier from Ron Rivera later in his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning. Ron was asked if Curtis Samuel's soreness is with his previously ailing groin. Here was Ron's answer. No, the soreness is from the work. Okay, he came in, he had, like I said, he had a really big day on Monday. Um, And when he came out, he just said, you know, I feel tight, feel sore overall generally. And so... um, that was just one of the things we just said, look, we, we've had a real good, real good run with him. Let's just be smart and let's, let's see if we can get him back ready to go on, uh, on Tuesday. And so he's been doing everything he's supposed to. 
All right, so a key nugget there. Yes, Curtis Samuel on Wednesday morning was on a side field, uh, but also, yes, at least according to Ron Rivera, Curtis Samuel was on the side field, not because Curtis's groin was acting up again. Uh, Look, whatever the case, the Curtis Samuel situation is one of the great wild cards for the commanders for the 2022 season. Washington, in March 2021, signed Curtis Samuel as an unrestricted free agent to a three-year contract with $21.5 million guaranteed at signing. His first season with Washington was a nightmare. Curtis, in the 2021 regular season, played in just five of Washington's 17 games due to the groin injury. He, in the 2021 regular season, over those five games, played on a total of just 84 offensive snaps. And then we this past November 27th had multiple reports that Curtis in June 2021 underwent core muscle surgery. Uh, That revelation certainly helped to make his struggles with the groin injury make more sense. Like the injury wasn't just your, you know, basic groin injury. This wasn't just a pulled groin. This was something a lot more than that. Uh, But if Curtis Samuel is healthy for the commanders this coming season, and that of course is a big if, but if that's the case, then Curtis Samuel is like a major free agent acquisition this offseason for the Commanders because he barely played for the team last season. Also on a side field during the Commanders OTA practice on Wednesday morning was running back Antonio Gibson. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on what was up with Gibson. Oh, Antonio did, he got a little twinge in the hamstring, so we, we, we shut him down. Um, you know, he came up on, uh, on Monday in practice, right in the middle of practice. He came over the sideline, and he kind of grabbed the back of his leg, and they went over, checked him, and they came to me, and said, so we shut him down too. So we're just trying to be smart and, and not let little things become big things as far as both those guys are concerned. Yeah, so there is concern with Antonio Gibson's health. There has to be. I mean, he is banged up a lot. I really believe that that's a big reason for why the commanders took a running back in Brian Robinson Jr. in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Although, in fairness to Gibson, he doesn't miss games, at least not many. Uh, Gibson, in his 2020 rookie regular season, played in 14 of Washington's 16 games. He, in December 2020, missed two games due to a turf toe injury. Gibson, in the 2021 regular season, played in 16 of Washington's 17 games. And the only game that he missed was due to COVID. Uh, He was on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 31st to January 5th. But Gibson, during the 2021 regular season, dealt with a shin injury, a rib injury, and a toe injury. His efficiency numbers were not particularly good. So just because he was playing in all of these games doesn't mean that he was at his best in all of these games. Uh, Speaking of injury, Commanders receiver Deami Brown during Wednesday morning's OTA practice got banged up uh, as we had an incident during the Commanders OTA practice. So during a two-minute drill, safety Jeremy Reeves blasted Deami Brown hard and near the head over the middle. Uh, Brown went down and left the field with trainers, and Ron Rivera was not happy at all. Uh, In fact, Ron was furious about this. He at one point said to his team, quote, part of effing discipline is doing your job, end quote. Here was Ron during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning. The last thing we wanted is somebody to be hurt, and we're fortunate that, you know, Dami, all he got a little sore shoulder, and that's about it, thank goodness. But still, you know, there's a certain discipline 
that I try to get across to the guys that they understand that when we talk about doing things a specific way, there's a reason why. The reason why is we don't want to see guys get hurt. But that's part of the discipline, and that's part of the things that we still have to learn. You know, last year I talked to you guys about my concern being the maturity, and, and, and I felt we were, I was concerned about it. I don't feel that way about that. I really don't because I feel something different. I see something different from our guys. And and part of it now is being able to control that. I mean, there's a lot of enthusiasm. I really appreciate the way they practice, the way they practice hard. And they get competitive every now and then. But we've got to have the discipline to understand. And I asked them, I gave them an example. I said, what if somebody came and pokes you in the eye? You know, and we're driving to kick the game-winning field. Are you going to slug somebody? We can't do things like that. So that was just a little bit of lesson. It was a good opportunity to make sure the players understand. All right, so good news that Deami Brown only had a sore shoulder uh, as opposed to, say, a concussion. But interesting that Ron Rivera said that maturity, which he last year felt was a major problem for the team, is no longer a problem for the team. I actually think that Ron saying that on Wednesday morning is a big deal because uh, Ron last year constantly brought up the maturity thing. And for a while, nobody really knew what Ron meant by that. But as time went on, it became clear that at least part of that was something like Chase Young and Montez Sweat not always adhering to the defensive scheme. You know, that Washington's top two edge defenders weren't always doing what they were supposed to be doing. Uh, You got a better sense of what Ron was talking about as last season went on and why the maturity thing was such a big deal. But Ron really was angry about that Jeremy Reeves hit on Deami Brown. Ron, during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning, was asked if there was something particular about the hit that set him off. No, just the fact that we've got to be smarter than that. I mean, that, that's the discipline that I'm talking about, understanding. If, if he had come up and pulled up at the last second, we'd have known he'd been there. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to see the collision. I mean, and part of it, too, is, is, is Jeremy knows better. And, and, and I told Jeremy, I'm disappointed in him because I know who he is, and he's the right kind of guy. He's the kind of guy you want on your football team. He's the kind of guy you want on the football field because, for the most part, he does smart things. Now, I do think that what happened on Wednesday morning is tricky for a guy like Jeremy Reeves, who is constantly having to fight for his spot on the team. I mean, if you're not familiar with the Jeremy Reeves story, he entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of South Alabama with the Philadelphia Eagles in April 2018. The Redskins signed Reeves to their practice squad in September 2018, promoted him to the active roster in December 2018. Uh, But Reeves was waived by Washington, and it's cut down to 53 for each of the next two seasons, 2019 and 2020, though he was signed back to the practice squad to begin each season. Then Reeves in the 2020 season started each of Washington's last three regular season games and started the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card round of the playoffs. Remember, Jeremy Reeves emerged as a key contributor for Washington in that NFC East winning season of 2020, uh, although Washington in that 2020 regular season only went 7-9. and nine. But keep this in mind too, Ron Rivera in October 2020 chose to promote Reeves from the practice squad as opposed to signing former Carolina Panthers safety Eric Reed, who was a free agent. But then Washington last August 31st in the cut down to 53 released Reeves, although he the next day, September 1st, was signed to the practice squad. So you can understand where Jeremy Reeves might be coming from and always wanting to make an impact in practice. Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on whether a guy like Jeremy Reeves has the luxury of pulling up on a potential big hit in practice. I think he does. I think because of who he is as a young man and who he's been a football player for us, that he has that luxury. And, and, and we'd we understand that we would, we would see that for sure. 
All right. Lesson learned, we hope, for Jeremy Reeves. Well, Thursday night is a big night for the Nationals. The 2022 Major League debut of Steven Strasburg. Uh, this off him having undergone the surgery last July 28th to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. Steven Strasburg finally will be making his 2022 Major League debut on Thursday night. Wednesday night for the Nats, we had a tough loss. A 2-1, 10-inning loss at the Miami Marlins in Game 2 of a three-game series. The Nats have the second-worst record in the National League at 21-37. and So Wednesday night's game was scoreless through nine innings. Uh, the Nats scored a run in the top of the 10th, and then came the bottom of the 10th, during which Tanner Rainey allowed two runs, one earned, and got just one out. Uh, Rainey gave up a pinch, one-out RBI opposite field single to Williams Astudillo to right field to score the Marlins automatic runner, Jazz Chisholm Jr., who initially was ruled out, but then replay review determined him to have been safe. Now, if you watch the game on TV, it looked like what was being reviewed was whether Jazz Chisholm Jr. touched home plate. We found out after the game that actually what ended up deeming Jazz Chisholm Jr. safe was that Nats catcher Cape Bear Ruiz was deemed to have been blocking home plate. This wasn't conveyed like at all. If you watch the game on television or if you were at the game at Lone Depot Park, if you were among the dozens of people at the game at Lone Depot Park. So kind of a weird situation there. That tied the game at one and then Rainey gave up a one-out walk-off RBI single up the middle to Jesus Aguilar for a 2-1 Nats loss. And this was a weird play because the ball went off second base. Uh, Now, the ball was pretty well struck up the middle, but the Nats second baseman, Cesar Hernandez, was in position to make the play, but the ball went off the second base bag. So bad puck luck for the Nats on that walk-off single, and the Nats ended up losing the game. Now, truth be told, the Nats could have lost the game in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, Kyle Finnegan did toss a scoreless bottom of the ninth to preserve the scoreless tie, but Kyle Finnegan in that scoreless bottom of the ninth gave up a leadoff first pitch single to John Birdie, then issued a four-pitch walk of Miguel Rojas. So the Marlins had met on first and second with nobody out, but we then got a really good defensive play by Nats first baseman Josh Bell. So the game was scoreless, nobody out, and the Marlins had runners on first and second. Bell fielded a bunt by Jacob Stallings and then fired the ball to Nats third baseman A. Ray Adrianza for the force out to get the lead runner out. Uh, That took some chutzpah on Josh Bell's part to throw the ball to third base. And, you know, Bell is not known for his throwing, okay? He has had throwing problems in his career, but he made a really good throw to Adrianza for the force out at third base. And then later in that bottom of the ninth, Kyle Finnegan struck out Jazz Chisholm Jr. swinging on five pitches for the third out. So uh, this ultimately ended up being an impressive escape act by Kyle Finnegan. You know, the Nats bullpen beyond Tanner Rainey on Wednesday night was good. Uh, Steve Ciszek tossed one and two-thirds perfect innings, and Carl Edwards Jr. tossed one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Boy, how about the job that Carl Edwards Jr. has done for the Nats. Uh, The Nats signed him to a minor league contract. He was pitching for AAA Rochester, pitched well. The Nats brought him up a few weeks ago, and he has been so good for the Nats at the major league level this season. 14 games now, 16 and a third innings, 16 strikeouts 
ERA of 165. I mean, the truth is this. Carl Edwards Jr. is emerging as a legitimate trade chip for the Nats. Also good for the Nats on Wednesday night was their starting pitcher, Josiah Gray. Uh, He was good for a third consecutive start. Gray on Wednesday night, five scoreless innings with six strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, He did give up six hits, but they were all singles. He did see a number of his pitches get fouled off, uh, resulting in his pitch count over the five innings being 101. Uh, That is a sky-high pitch count for just five innings of work, 101 pitches over five innings. But Gray, over those 101 pitches, threw 69 strikes versus 32 balls. Uh, Gray tossed a scoreless bottom of the first, despite the Marlins having the bases loaded and one out. Uh, Three consecutive Marlins reached base via two straight one-out singles and then catcher interference on Kaber Ruiz. But Gray then recorded back-to-back swinging strikeouts of Avisayo Garcia and John Birdie on a combined eight pitches. A nice job by Josiah Gray getting out of that jam in the bottom of the first. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday night on Josiah Gray. Yeah, they fouled, they fouled a lot of pitches. Um, we talked about that, but he threw the ball well. I said, hey, you made some good pitches. I mean, they fouled some off, but I thought you made some really good pitches. And so, you know, just uh, they built your pitch count up. And But, I mean, you hung in there. You struck. You got some big strikeouts when you needed it. You know, um, but you pitched well. So, you know, um, you know, the next outing, I mean, you know, you could hit the, the 100-pitch mark. You know, you know done that, get, get to that 6th, 7th inning. Yeah, so Josiah Gray now this season, 12 starts, ERA of 433, a strikeouts per nine innings of 9.96. He's averaging just about 10 strikeouts per nine innings. That's quite good. And uh, as I said, Gray now has been good in each of his last three starts. You know, he had that terrible start a few weeks ago, 9-4 loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park on May 24th, seven runs in three innings. That outing left him with an ERA of 544 this season, but now have come Gray's last three starts. A 6-5 win over the Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park on May 29th. Gray in that game, one run in five innings. Uh, Gray in an 8-5 win at the Cincinnati Reds this past Friday night. Two runs, one earned in six innings with nine strikeouts, and now we have what Gray did on Wednesday night. And look, it's not like he has been outstanding in each of these recent three starts, okay? There are some nits to pick. There is still another level that you want to see Josiah Gray get to, but he has been better lately. Now, the Moreland starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Sandy Alcantara, and he dominated the Nats again. Uh, The Nats have had a really hard time with Sandy Alcantara this season, and Alcantara on Wednesday night was just outstanding. Nine shutout innings. Yeah, nine shutout innings for Sandy Alcantara on Wednesday night. Six strikeouts versus no walk. Six hits. He threw 105 pitches. How about this? 84 strikes versus just 21 balls. Yeah, 105 pitches, 84 strikes versus just 21 balls. Sandy Alcantara on Wednesday night had a strike-to-ball ratio of Four to one. A strike to ball ratio of two to one is good. All Contras on Wednesday night was four to one. That's absurd. Uh, Alcantara is having some season. He now, over 12 starts this season, has an ERA of 161 and a whip of 0.94. So the Nats on Wednesday night got worked by one of the best pitchers in the majors. Uh, How about this from Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday night on Sandy Alcantara? Alcantara's... 
he's the he's the best in our league. I think I really do. I mean, he's got good stuff. Um, he was tough all night long. He kept us all balanced. So, um, but man, you're not gonna, you're not going to see anybody better than that right there. He's really good. Yeah, and so with Sandy Alcantara pitching on Wednesday night, a whole lot of Nats had problems. Uh, Nelson Cruz as an at starting DH in number four batter, 0 for four with two strikeouts. Luis Garcia as an at starting shortstop and number six batter, 0 for four. Lane Thomas as an at starting left fielder and number two batter, 0 for four with three strikeouts. Victor Robles as an at starting center fielder and number nine batter, 0 for four with a strikeout, left three men on base. Cesar Hernandez as an at starting second baseman and number one batter, 0 for five with a strikeout. Uh, three Nats did have two hits apiece. Cape Ruiz, Josh Bell, and A. Ray Adrianza. Uh, Ruiz as an ad starting catcher, number seven batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single. Uh, Ruiz in the top of the second had a two out first pitch single to right field. He in the top of the 10th had a leadoff RBI single to shallow right center field on a one two pitch to score the automatic runner, Luis Garcia, for a one nothing Nats lead. And Ruiz in this game did go one of two on runners trying to steal. He in the bottom of the fifth threw out Jazz Chisholm Jr. on an attempted steal of second base for the first out. And if you know Jazz Chisholm Jr., you know he is a dynamic player. I mean, throwing him out on an attempted steal is not easy. And yet, Cabo Ruiz did that on Wednesday night. Cabo Ruiz now this season is 11 of 31 on runners trying to steal. I mean, that's good. Uh, Josh Bell, on Wednesday night as an at starting first baseman and number five batter, two for four with two singles. Andy made that aforementioned big defensive play in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, Bell in the top of the second had a one out opposite field single to left center field. Bell in the top of the fourth had a two out first pitch opposite field infield single that went off the glove of Marlon shortstop Miguel Rojas and A. Ray Adrianza. Uh, he on Wednesday night was an at starting third baseman and number eight batter, two for four with two singles as Michael Franco got a very rare game off this season for the Nats. Uh, Adrianza in the top of the fifth, a one-out single to right field, and Adrianza in the top of the seventh, a two-out first pitch single to center field. Uh, Juan Soto on Wednesday night did have a double, but uh, he was lucky to get this double. Soto as an at starting right fielder, number three batter, one for four, with the double. He, in the top of the six, had a one-out opposite field double to the left field warning track, uh, despite having been down to the count at 1.12, so that was good, but the double was a result of Marlins left fielder Jorge Soler misplaying uh, what was a very catchable high fly ball, albeit a deep fly ball. Uh, Juan Soto remains in this rut in which he just isn't impacting games all that much. What Soto will do these days is he'll have a big game, like one out of every, say, five games, and then the other four games, he just won't do that much. And we just keep seeing that with Soto. He will have a big game every now and then. It's not like he's doing nothing, but we are not seeing greatness consistently from Juan Soto. And we, of course, are used to seeing a greatness consistently from Juan Soto. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon did option starting pitcher Joanna Doan to AAA Rochester. Uh, we thought that this might be coming. It, in fact, did come on Wednesday afternoon. Doan in game one of this series at the Marlins, the 12-2 loss on Tuesday night, got ripped eight runs in three innings. And so now Doan, I think, is where he probably should be. And that is uh, in the minors. I mean, he has talent. It's not like he's been a train wreck throughout this season, but the numbers are not pretty for Yoan Adon. 12 starts. The guy has an ERA of 695 and a whip of 176. He's young, age 23 season. 
He does not have a ton of minor league experience, so we perhaps should have expected uh, a demotion like this coming, but he has been demoted to the minors, and uh, the Nats, we'll see. There's some uncertainty with the rotation moving forward. For now, you would think that this kid, Evan Lee, who was called up from AA Harrisburg uh, now two Wednesdays ago, uh, will be taking the spot of Joanna Doan in the Nats rotation, but nothing is uh, definite right now, so we'll see uh, what goes down. I think a wild card in all of this is what ends up happening with Steven Strasburg on Thursday evening. Does he pitch well? Does he stay healthy? Is he a part of this Nats rotation? So we'll see. Uh, the corresponding roster move to the Nats optioning a donor to AAA Rochester on Wednesday afternoon was the Nats recalling reliever Sam Clay from Rochester. And so, yes, game three for the Nats at the Marlins Thursday evening at 640. The Nats will be trying to avoid a three-game sweep, and Steven Strasburg will be the Nats starting pitcher. He'll be making his 2022 Major League debut. He'll be starting a Major League game for the first time since June 1st, 2021. Who knows what to expect, but it'll be exciting to see him pitch in a Major League game again, and we're certainly hoping for the best. And that will do it for you and me for now. An eventful installment of the Al Galdi podcast. You tell me what you think. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 333, will include plenty on the commanders. You know, there's a lot of football stuff from Wednesday's post-OTA practice press conferences that we did not get to on this show because of all of the stuff regarding our commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio. So we can certainly get into some of that other football stuff on Friday's show. And uh, who knows what else may come about? Who knows what dust-ups may arise, uh, especially off this Jack stuff? We'll see. Uh, Also, on Friday's show, the 2022 Major League debut of Steven Strasburg. He will be the national starting pitcher for their Game 3 at the Miami Marlins on Thursday evening at 6.40, I will have for you full post-game analysis, uh, and I'll talk Orioles. Uh, they on Thursday night at 8.10 will begin a four-game series at the Kansas City Royals. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Because it's kind of hard for me to say I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust-up at the Capitol. Well, there's nothing burned down. And we're not going to talk about, we're going to make that a major deal. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.